Trigger warning. This episode contains mention of sexual assault. It's just a mention, but we wanted anyone with that trigger to know and be prepared. The idea was not just belief in God or Jesus, but that the Bible had something to say about every area of life. I could never come to a point of peace with it because it it just felt wrong. It just felt like I was being held back in myself. The church just doesn't have answers for all this stuff. So I kind of just stopped really trying to figure it out, stopped talking to God about it because it just didn't seem like God really appreciated me. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and re-construction. Season 2, Episode 4. Shallow Answers in the Deep. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to talk to you. I know, me too. This is great. I'm glad I I'm glad I found you. I hope I didn't send um a, a contact request message to some random person who shares your name. I hope it was maybe just an old Skype name of yours. Otherwise I probably really freaked someone else out. So it might be. I do have several accounts. Okay, perfect. Great. As long as it actually is you and not some stranger who's like, what call? Who are you? Yes. So good. Yes. Well, um, so I um I'm I'm definitely curious about hearing your story and what your experience has been and then also how you uh, found out about the podcast, how you kind of decided to get in touch with us and reach out to us and tell us your story, like where those two things kind of intersect for you. Yeah, cool. So I am a Southern Baptist pastor's daughter. Mm -hmm. So I was raised, you know, very evangelical. That's just how you were taught right from wrong, based off the Bible. Yeah. Uh, And so it wasn't until I really went to college that I started kind of allowing myself to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, spring of 2016, I realized that I am bisexual. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I genuinely thought my whole life that everybody was attracted to everybody. Yeah. (laughs) And that we just had to choose, you know, the opposite sex. Mm. And I I really remember saying at one point to a friend, like, oh, everybody's attracted to women because they're so over-sexualized in the media or something like that. Yeah. And I, because I just really thought that I was just so repressed my whole life. Mm. There wasn't even a space for that to be a thing. Mm. Um, but yes, so soon after that, I did fall in love with a man and got married. And after marriage, I think is really when I started deconstructing my faith, because I just soon realized when you get married, everybody really expects you to be a submissive wife. Like that is only option. It's not a suggestion or anything. It's, it's life. 
And so I really struggled with that. And I went through like a nine month study of theology and everything in that. And I read large books about it. And I just, I could never come to a point of peace with it. And because it, it just felt wrong. It just felt like I was being held back in myself, in my yeah. marriage. And I, so I kind of just stopped really trying to figure it out, stopped talking to God about it because it just didn't seem like God really appreciated me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a good just, way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I had just, I guess, assumed my whole life that he created me knowing I had these traits and these qualities of leadership and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, but you have a vagina, so sorry. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, when church too was a big thing going on at the time so I heard lots and lots of painful stories about how the church had physically and emotionally abused so many people and I don't know it just really got me to the point where I I just felt really dumb praying I felt really stupid trying to force myself to read the bible I wasn't getting anything from it it just felt like fake all of a sudden like all of a sudden all these emotions that used to be associated with it just fell apart and there was nothing there anymore and that wasn't too long ago that was last fall wow yeah so it's pretty fresh and so yeah I listened to the ex-evangelical podcast as well and that's how I heard about Derek Webb's deconstruction Mm mm-hmm I should say, I was really surprised when I saw it. I guess I hadn't kept up with him that much since his last album to hear that he had deconstructed. Because yeah. I guess I always just pictured him as this super Christian person because that's how <laughs> I like, knew him right. in my realm of music. Yeah. And so I was really interested in his story and, yeah, just loved his album and the airing of grief. And... I just want to say I'm I'm really excited for this next season that you guys are more opening it to different voices that definitely have stories of hurt within the church yeah. of you know LGBTQ plus people and women and transgender just all these different stories I think it's going to be so good to hear. Yeah, thank you for that. It's definitely something that we we felt was really important. I think like there was a weird imbalance between um, kind of what was going on inside of our little airing of grief world and like what I was observing in the larger sphere of the evangelical group and Twitter mm-hmm. and just, yeah. you know, all these spaces where you have all these people who have checked these boxes, like these demographic boxes that are like, y'all, like waving their arms being like, we've been deconstructing for a while, a long time now, because this theological system has disagreed with the fact that I am fundamentally human and I deserve the same things as other humans. And it kind of felt, at a certain point, it kind of felt like, oh, we're just now talking about deconstruction because white men found it? Cool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, women have been doing this for a long time. Like, black yeah. folks have been doing this for a long time. Anyone yeah. in the LGBTQIA community has been doing this for a long time because for a long time yeah. we've been wondering where do we fit here? What's our place here? Kind of like what you said, like, I, I, that really resonated with me where you're like, well, God made me this way, but, and yet I have a vagina. So it's like, so apparently right. I can't be this way. Like, how do I resolve that within myself? And there's the majority of people inside of the 
Christian or evangelical expression have had that experience for a long time. And it started to feel, feel a little frustrated that it's almost like we're treating this like it's a novel thing because suddenly white dudes are feeling disenfranchised. And I was like, yeah. this isn't funny. Yeah. Like, that's not, and that's not, and, and trust me, like, I'm not for sure not, um, you know, trying to speak, trying to downplay the pain of deconstruction for any person, including right. straight white men. But it started to, it started, it did start to feel a little bit um, kind of redundant of that one story. And so we all talked about it together and we're like, we've got to broaden this out and we've got to make sure that we are doing the work to broaden it out because otherwise yeah. it, it's going to be kind of like we said in the, in the teaser, like it's going to be church all over again and we can't risk that. Um, so yeah, so thank you for, for that. And um, it's it's wonderful that people like you in the position that you're in, like you feel this kind of freedom to, to reach out and to tell your story. And that's what I was afraid. I didn't want us to go down the road of people like you and people like me feeling like, okay, well, what's the point of me reaching out and sharing my story? Because I don't hear myself in these stories that have already been shared. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious too, for you, um, kind of where, what... Um, trying to figure out like a, a delicate, not a delicate way, but like a, a normal way of asking this question that doesn't sound strange, but for you being in the position that you're in, um, you know, and I hear from a lot of, um, folks that I know that I'm friends with that are bisexual where they're like, the hard thing about that is like, you kind of either, you have to almost like quote unquote pass for one or the other when you're in a relationship, mm -hmm. when you're in a monogamous relationship with a person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, what is that process or what does that kind of experience feel like for you? Um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, um, being in a relationship with a man, but being a bisexual woman who's in a relationship with a man. So it's like this weird kind of straight yeah. passing thing, but you know, in your core of your identity, you're not a straight individual. Like what is, right. what does that feel like for you? Oh man. Yeah, I, I, I haven't really talked to many people about this, so I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I feel like I really realized this about myself very late in the game. I was already in a relationship, already in love, whenever I started to realize that I did have feelings for a woman. Yeah. And and it wasn't so much that I was going to like end my relationship and explore this, because it was just like, I don't need to explore this because mm -hmm. I I know what I am. Like, yeah. I don't need to break up with my yeah. boyfriend, go have sex with a bunch of women to figure out I'm bisexual. Like, I know that I am. I don't have to do anything about it, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think sometimes I feel almost guilty because I don't have to really come out in a mm, sense. Like, sure. I am able to pass in the church as like an acceptable woman because mm. I'm married to a man and mm. nobody has to know anything else. So, you know, it's almost irrelevant, but right. I think it, I just feel different. Like part of me is unacceptable mm. um, to the rest of people in the church mm. um, and I guess my bisexuality doesn't really play a role in my marriage yeah. presently because it doesn't have to right. I mean I just I know what I am I know who I'm attracted to but I'm I don't have an open marriage or I'm mm. not doing anything else on the side I just I am with my husband mm. but I just I know how I feel but I am 
I am grateful for it in a way that I can firsthandly relate to yes. people that are homosexual mm-hmm. that have to come out to live a full life. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't have to because yeah. I am very happy with my husband, but I'm here to advocate for people that have to to get married or yeah. have to have a family. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I and I. Part of me. Yeah, and I think that's really beautiful. And and that's something that, you know, again, I've heard from a lot of people that there's this gigantic misconception surrounding bisexuality, predominantly from religious people, who think that it automatically means non monogamy. Um, And that's extremely untrue. And it's just, which to me, I'm just like, that's baffling that anyone would assume that. Or there's this, you know, misconception, this horrible misconception that people who are bisexual are just being greedy or indecisive. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I don't even Mm -hmm. want to continue talking about that because it's so gross. But, But I think you, you being in the position that you're in where you're like, look, I this is who I am and I want to um, be a part, I want to acknowledge my presence, my presence in this community of people, to be a part of this community of people and to do what I can to advocate for the community that I'm in and the community that yeah. I represent. Um, yeah. I think that's really incredible. And what, and what, um, what kind of, and maybe we'll wrap up with this question, but where, where do you feel like you are now in the realm of your relationship towards spirituality, spiritual practice, um, belief? Uh, I don't want to use the R word, <laughs> but um, where do you feel like you are with that? Even if it, even if your answer is like, I'm in process, I have no idea. Like, that's a oh, yeah. perfect answer. So I'm just curious about where you are with that. I will say that I think the idea of God never really left me. Mm-hmm. I just had to strip it down. Yeah. to its complete rawness that the point where I'm at right now is I love the idea of a higher being and a higher deity yeah. and this like ultimate source of love and goodness that pushes people to do that. I love that. And mm-hmm. that may be fake and that may just be me, but I'm, re- I'm really okay with that. Yeah. Um, so right now in my spirituality, I'm more focused on how can I meditate? How can I have this new practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah kind of taking myself out of myself, focusing on a bigger view without having it automatically be related to the Bible. Mm. So I'm taking a large break from the Bible and not trying to force myself to read it, not trying to force myself to interact with God in the ways that I think that I should my whole life. I'm just trying to be completely raw with it right now. Mm. And so, yeah. All that to say, I really don't know where I'm at with a lot of things. I have no idea what to think of the Bible or what it means for me or how I should use it. I've got no clue that I'm listening to a lot of podcasts like The Liturgist Mm -hmm. and Reconstruction, Deconstruction, whatever that one's called. And Mm -hmm. this one, it's just like hearing stories, seeing where I can be and just trying to find a place where I'm comfortable. Yeah. And it's really difficult because I'm I'm an Enneagram four with okay. a three wing. Okay. So my three wing, you know, the achiever, 
is just screaming right now because <laughs> I want to have all the answers. Figure and it I, out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I want people to be able to ask me questions and for me to confidently answer them. Mm-hmm. But I, I just can't. Yeah. Because <laughs> so the four in you is like, no, this has to be sincere. This yes. has to be honest. And this process is going to take us. It's like your four is like reprimanding your three. You're like, this is yes. going to take as long as it takes for it to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. I'm such a contradictory personality. Mm-hmm. That's just fine. Yeah. Oh, girl, I'm an eight with a seven wing, so I get it. Oh. <laughs> my eight is constantly that. trying to put my unruly seven that expresses itself as a little toddler in a corner, and my seven yeah. is like, why are you being such a jerk? Like, it's pretty, yeah, pretty consistent. <laughs> I, I feel that. I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. But it sounds like you are, you're in a place where you're, um, you're kind of giving yourself permission to connect with yourself for the very first time and like only with yourself and predominantly with yourself not through a specific filter of the bible or a certain denomination of you know the christian religion like you're just allowing yourself to do what's best for you and connect with what spirituality might mean to you now yes yeah that's big i think that's huge That's like the foundational principle is just releasing permission to yourself to ask your body what your body needs and check in with yourself and see and figure out and just explore this wide landscape of who you are and what you want for the very first time. And it's hard to do, but it's the it's the foundation that has to be laid to to build everything else upon. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the phone with me and sharing your story with us. I'm really honored to, to hold this space to, to listen to your experience with you, and um, I'm really appreciative. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys giving this space. It really does mean a lot yeah. to have that. Yeah, I'm glad. Derek, thank you for what you're doing with the podcasts. Five months ago, I was on my way to work when a minivan ran a red light at full speed and slammed directly into the driver's side of my two-door hatchback at 40 miles per hour. I'll never forget the bone-crunching impact of the collision. I spun through the intersection until I was able to regain control of the car, and I recall sitting there, numb from the shock, slowly realizing that I could still at least move each of my appendages. Remarkably, despite the intensity of the crash, I ended up walking away without any serious injuries, just a lot of bruises. It was, I suppose, a best-case scenario, and while I was exhausted for several days, everything went back to normal fairly quickly. It feels eerie now every time I think about how much worse it could have been. I've also gone through two phases of intense deconstruction, which have certain resonances with your story. But if there's one thing I've taken away from listening to the first episodes of the podcast, it's the realization that, much like my car accident, I've been fortunate to emerge from my deconstructive journey with far fewer injuries or collateral damage than many others have experienced. My first deconstructive phase, circa 2003, was a dismantling of much of the evangelical subculture I'd grown up with in Wheaton, Illinois, but from the safe distance of the West Coast, in Seattle and the San Francisco Bay Area. I emerged from that phase with a modified sense of religious sensibilities that connected with Mockingbird at the time. 
My second deconstructive phase, which I'm probably still in the process of emerging from, has felt more like a total dismantling of my very sense of self. Looking back now with a modicum of perspective, I can view it as a type of waking up, but at the time it felt more like death. A total giving up on what I realized had been, at the deepest subconscious level, the driving narrative of my life up to that point. You could call it the death perhaps of a false self, or at least of my willingness to allow fragments of myself to lay claim to the whole. If the three essential lies we build false identities on are, I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what people think of me, I realized that for me, I was addicted to a very particular and very powerful version of I am what I have, where the having was oriented around my desire to figure things out, to have the right understanding, to know. Once it snapped into focus for me that this was the deepest rooted and most cherished of my addictions, I couldn't unsee that reality. I was faced with a choice, either double down and embrace this search for knowing in hopes it would ultimately be life-giving, or begin to see that identity as a partial lie, at most a fragment of my true identity. In practical terms, that led to embracing a daily practice oriented around consenting to silence. The silence of a mind that is otherwise relentless and reluctant to admit that it may never actually know if there is a God. And in hopes that such a practice would provide space for something new, allowing me to get the fuck out of my head and to connect with my other intelligent centers in my body and heart. With this in mind, I was struck by something you said in the first episode. Because I don't think I've ever been more obsessed with how high the stakes are and how much I want answers to these questions that if God is there and orchestrating all things, I want to know about it. Yeah. And, um, but he's going to have to persuade me. Um, yeah, and, but, and, if he, and if he's not there, that's also something I want to know. Either way, I, I have to know. I feel like I, it matters more to me now than it ever has. And you yeah. seem like At the risk of saying something that could totally come across the wrong way, I guess my question would be, to what degree have you wrestled with seeing that obsession to know as the deepest of your addictive tendencies? How attached are you to the hope that the next season, whenever it arrives, will be marked by some sort of knowing? The unexpected twist in my journey of unknowing is that it has pulled me back from the margins into having two feet firmly planted in a local church community. I frequently perceive that inner voice, formerly quote-unquote the spirit, as just my own inner intuition, exactly as you've described on the podcast, but that very voice has called me back to the last place I expected. This is a relatively recent development, but it has felt life-giving in a way I couldn't have imagined for much of the past decade. I'm not suggesting my path should be normative. In fact, given the state of the church in many parts of the country, I find myself trying to convince more friends to get out than to get in. But I share my story here in case it adds a unique strand to the tapestry we're weaving together. Hello. Hello there. Hey. <laughs> it worked. Yay. Sorry, it's my dog in the background. He's he's cute, but he's a jerk. Anyway. <laughs> I have a cat like that. So <laughs> she probably won't won't make such noise, but you know, that's her thing. She just stares 
like yeah. at me from the other side of the room and if it hurts my my confidence actually <laughs> but yeah how are you doing today i'm all right it's wednesday halfway through the week <laughs> <laughs> have um have you uh, been someone who's been listening to the podcast previously or yeah i listened i only found out about it a little while ago i've been following derek since the cave and call days 40 acres was like i b- practically burned a hole through that cd and then um all the way since and um you know have uh been intrigued inspired um i don't know what other adjectives by his journey and his um openness and authenticity with where he's been and going and Mm. And can relate to a lot of it so i've enjoyed the podcast it's just refreshing to hear people be real (laughs) about stuff yeah and and so you found that i guess that sort of mirrored a lot of what you've gone through as well as far as yeah to some degree um here and there you know um yeah, quite a bit, bits and pieces of everyone's story I can relate to for sure. So, yeah. Cool. Well, if you, yeah, if you'd like, I'd love to hear some of, I guess, from your particular story or angle. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I grew up, um, you know, in a pretty, what I would say, conservative Christian family, went to church from a young age. My parents were Catholic and left um, due to, you know, various um, disagreements and such, then went to a Lutheran church, or I was baptized there, and then went to an Assemblies of God church, which was like total different um, <laughs> swing of things. And it was very um, prescriptive, I guess is the word that comes to mind. And I want to say controlling, but I don't think anybody meant it that way, but it just was. Um And there was a lot of what I would say majoring in the minors. I mean, the idea was not just belief in God or Jesus, but that the Bible had something to say about every area of life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there was just, you know, a supposed answer for everything. And... And so, you know, you're a kid, right? Someone's teaching you something. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, you know. And so I'm taking that in. And and that's all fine and dandy when I'm a child and um, and everything. But then as I got older, um, bits of that started to fall apart when I, I was 14 and I was sexually assaulted by someone at summer camp. Um, and then after that, I mean, obviously, as you can imagine, that kind of just totally unraveled me. Um, and then I spiraled into depression and eating disorders and went through, I've been in therapy more in my life than I've been out of therapy. Um, and you know, that just went on a really deep, dark place for a really long time. And, and there weren't answers for that. And as much as my church or other people, and I didn't even tell everybody at church everything because I was so ashamed, you know. Um, but I, you know, as much as I could tell people what I was going through, there were answers. It was like, well, here's 5,000 verses that should make you feel better about your depression. Or here are all these different things you can do every day to keep yourself in a good place. And it was just... It's very, it was very exhausting um, in the midst of going through so much just on my own. It was like, okay, well, if I'm going to stay in a good spot, I got to do all this other stuff too, because look at all these answers that they're giving me that will supposedly help me out. And, um, and eventually the depression was 
found to be misdiagnosed as bipolar disorder, which runs in my family a lot. I developed a drinking problem, um, which went on and off uh, for a long time. I'll be that I'll be three years sober in May, at the end of May. So well, congratulations. Thank you. And um, and then also in the midst of all that, too, my, my husband and I got married young. We were 22. He's awesome. Gets everything. Um, we have three boys, and our middle son, um, who's now almost nine, uh, was born with a rare genetic disorder called Prader-Willi syndrome. And uh, I know about that, actually. Yeah, yeah. But people have heard – sometimes you say – People will hear Prater Willie. Um, it's very rare, one in 20,000. It's supposedly random, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of medical issues, developmental, social issues that go along with it. But it, it's, when a, you, it's when you don't ever feel full, right? Yeah, so the mechanism involving appetite in your brain is broken. And people will say, oh, I must have that because I eat a ton of food late at night. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is like you've eaten enough food. They literally can eat enough until their stomachs explode and they and they pass away, um, which has happened. It happens again and again every year. Or so we have our uh, kitchen locked up and everything. He's given food, you know, and at certain times, um, you know, he's a grown boy. He's eating plenty, but... Um, that's the main, yeah, he feels hungry literally all the time. And it breaks my heart to hear him tell me that. Um, and so, you know, so he was born and, you know, fucking every little cliche that I'm so tired of, like everything happens for a reason. God won't give you more than you can. I want to be like, fuck you. This is actually more than I can handle. I actually cannot do this. (laughs) And the amount of times I've said from time to time, I can't do this anymore. Like every once in a while, it just has to come out and I just kind of have to fall apart and then get back up on the horse because what else am I going to do? And so we've been lucky to have a lot of support from friends and family, but I wouldn't say the majority of the support has really occurred in like Christian circles per se, because when stuff like this happens, people really don't have as many answers as they would like to think. And this narrow view that I had from my church growing up just felt so shallow and, like I said, cliche um, in the face of all all this stuff that I've been through. Um, sayings like, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And again, cliches, just like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? What does that mean when... Each day I am exhausted from the inside out, not because I'm not happy or just because there is so much stuff that is so hard. I mean, I don't drink anymore, but it's not like I don't think about it every single fucking day of my life. My son is a joy. He's such a sweet, wonderful, uninhibited little boy. He's the cutest thing, but he deals with so much. And me as his mom, I deal with a lot of taking care of him and just the my mom it breaks my mama's heart you know to see to see your kids struggling and um and the church just doesn't have answers for all this stuff and so you know thinking back to the church where I grew up and uh you know how prescriptive and and uh, black and white everything was um in that mindset I've just ditched like the vast majority of it. I'm at the point where I'm like, 
guess what? I know you think the Bible said that God created the world in seven 24-hour days and evolution is a total hoax and had nothing to do with it. Guess what? I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't, I do not care at all. I'm too exhausted to care, to be perfectly honest. Mm. And there's all sorts of other things like, oh, you might be pro-life and that's great, um, you know, uh, but what does that mean for being pro-life for people who are alive and who are poor and who are suffering great injustices all the time. What does that mean for people who are disabled? What does that mean? You know, we don't have a great theology of disability. I mean, I've had people told me, I'll pray that, you know, that um, your son will be healed. Like, I'll pray that God will put back the parts of his chromosomes that are missing. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he could, but that's not really how this how this right. works it doesn't seem if that's if that's what he's doing it doesn't seem to be how he actually operates at all right know? yeah and so just i'm just so tired of it um and so i'm because it's, it's like you said it's the shallow answer to the deep problem and yeah. you know a, bu- a bunch of verses out of context um aren't, aren't going to help the thing that people don't want to confront, I think, a lot in church is that actually the Bible doesn't have, literally doesn't have anything specifically or directly to say to a little girl who's been sexually abused or right. to a boy with a chromosome uh, difference or, you know, it's, it's, it's not even trying. It's, and no. so, and Mm-mm. so when, when you try to use it that way, I, mean, I remember the, uh, the assistant pastor at the church I grew up with. Uh, he always used to refer to the Bible as, you know, it's an owner's manual for life. And the oh my an- gosh, yes, I've the heard answers that so are in the back. Times. You no. know, oh my and god, it's just like it was. I mean, even when I was a card-carrying evangelical and pretty Pharisaical myself, I all that always seemed so gross to me because I I always thought you're saying that over people, and you're holding that over their heads, and it's so abusive. Because it have is. you actually read the Bible? Like anyone right. who's actually read the Bible knows that it it doesn't speak in the way that you're presenting it. And when those people, if they're biblically illiterate, when they go away and try to read it and try to receive this life you claim is in it in that way, and yep. and it doesn't work that way for them, guess what? They're going to feel like there's something wrong with them. And Absolutely. that's 90% of people in evangelical churches are there, are sitting there under the guilt and the shame and the weight of being told that this thing will change and and inspire and motivate their entire life. And yet when yep. they actually open it, they can't make heads or tails of it. And their intuition about what it's actually saying isn't celebrated. And the things they're supposed to be seeing in it, they can't see. And it's just so defeating. It is. Uh, it's disillusioning and, and, and disorienting. You know, I had a I had a professor in college. I went to Boston College, which is a you know Catholic Jesuit university. And one thing I really appreciate about the Jesuits is they are like completely okay with the mystery of God. Like mm-hmm. not knowing answers, God might be in the flowers that you see in the dirt that bring in a bring a smile to your face. You know what I mean? Like just totally cool with all that. But anyway, I had I took a theology class with this professor who was like considered borderline heretical by a lot of evangelicals, and he was so funny because I was one of the you know like you said card carrying evangelicals at the time, and I'm trying to hold on for all I can to all these answers I've been told will you know help me out. And so we would say something, you know, a couple of us, we'd raise our hand in class like, well, the Bible says blah, blah, blah. And he'd go, where? Show me where. Like, well, the passage where Jesus says, he's like, "Mm -mm, nope, that's actually not what that says. (laughs) And we would look at it and we're like, oh, my gosh, you're right. It actually doesn't. It actually doesn't say that. That's not what Jesus was going for. 
Um, and that got, that was a big part that got me thinking that maybe it was okay that all these things that weren't lining up as definitive answers for me, that it, it was exactly that they weren't, they, mm-hmm. they weren't definitive answers. Um, so yeah, which, you know, like you said, makes you feel like, am I the one who's failing here? Do I not have enough faith? Am I not smart enough to figure this out? Like what's uh-huh. going on here? Um, so it seems yeah. like there's a song about that that Derek wrote recently. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe either you aren't real or I'm not chosen. Yeah. Um, either way, you know, my heart is broken. Like I, I can't, I can't tell what's going on here. Like you yep. said, it's disillusioning. It is. It is. It is the ultimate disillusionment because it's all you know. In so many ways, it's all you've known, all you grew up. You know, every yeah. everything that every lens you ever used to view the world and process everything that was incoming was yeah. through was through that that construct absolutely even things like politics like it was unheard of unheard of for someone to be a christian and be a democrat like it just was not that's not okay you can't you can't do that um Mm -hmm. and then you know going to college and meeting really a whole spectrum of people since i was outside my bubble um from growing up was like oh my gosh there's actually a whole bunch of people that are like totally fans of Jesus and they're all over the place and that's cool like Mm -hmm. sweet it was very freeing like a breath of fresh air to know that you know there could be belief in in a lot of different forms Mm -hmm. um and that that would be okay still hard to go through it myself and figure out what the hell does that mean for me but it was yeah a nice change in mindset Even when you do find, I mean, not being in that environment anymore and now finding yourself back in in a home and in a town and like, even when you know there are people that you connect with, but if they're not, you know, immediately in your circle, it's kind of hard to have that sense of community and it's, it's hard to have a sense of faith or belief that isn't embodied in a community. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a big part of why we're even attempting to do this is like regardless of where people find themselves on the spectrum now which is which is pretty wide yeah. um, as soon as you don't fit in with the the typical and the shallow thing it's really easy easy to feel isolated and alone and and all yeah. that other stuff um yeah and so we're, you know we're we're doing a tiny bit that we can do to try to start reversing course on that and, and yeah. hopefully leading to gatherings and all that other stuff but it's it's very, you know, when you do embrace mystery and you do embrace that none of us really know anything. No. It's like it's really hard to be like gather so we can not know anything. It just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the uh Let's sit around and ponder the mysteries right. of the universe. It's, it's it's it just is not um it's not as simple of a way to control people and and that part is good, but it's also it also makes it kind of nebulous as to well, what the hell yeah. are we even doing? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, where does that leave you when, with, uh, you know, if you don't have a, a community that's really embodying the way you see things and the, the things you've come to experience, like, where does that leave you in the way that you engage God or 
um, the concept of God. Yeah. Well, I think um, my husband is of a very similar, um, like, thinking about, you know, we're both kind of in a sim- we're in a similar spot together, I think. And so I can talk to him about stuff without judgment. And I have quite a few. Are, are we go to a Presbyterian church now that is very, um, has a very wide spectrum of beliefs, I would say, about things. And everyone, for whatever reason, in this particular uh, congregation, which is why we're there, um, people are okay with um, agreeing to disagree about a lot of stuff. And I can say things out loud that sound borderline heretical or maybe heretical, um, and people seem to be okay with it. Obviously, there are certain people I'm not going to say it in front of because it's just going to be wasted breath. <laughs> but, right. Um, but yeah, but I, you know, even so, I mean, my husband and I have both said, like, don't think we completely line up with everything going on here, but it's good enough for now. I mean, the fact, too, that they accept, you know, we have three kids, but that they accept our son with special needs is, is huge because that just doesn't happen in a lot of churches. Um, mm-hmm. people, a lot of families with kids with special needs just don't go to church because it's too hard and nobody necessarily means badly by it, but there's just kind of this, there's fear and ignorance and all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, that alone is a big thing that keeps us there, um, mm. to have that community and everything. Yeah. Cause that um, is, that we, is for yeah. sure rare. Oh yeah, for sure. And we, you know, so we just really like the people. That's the main thing. And, you know, we had a, uh, speaker the other day or the other week talking about like death and the afterlife and the soul and stuff. And there was just, we left all feeling like there were very few answers and everybody was kind of okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we were all more confused by the end of the talk than the, beginning of it. <laughs> but that's okay. You know? Um, and I, and I appreciated going to a place where you can ask questions that might not seem like they're inside the box because that was, those questions were unacceptable mm-hmm. in my church growing up. Well, that's, at least, that's yeah, where at the very at. least, it yeah. kind of tills the soil for maybe not not necessarily some new certainties, but at least some better direction, you know, to yeah. to, to face if yeah. the answers come, whether they come or not. At least there's a better direction being faced to even process things yeah. instead of just oh, having sure. that black and white, easy, shallow. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's where we're at now, and what's been good for us uh, for the time being. Yeah. <laughs> my my thing was that like the more. The more I studied Jesus, the more I thought, this guy's pretty radical and pretty cool. Yeah. And then I kept thinking, like, why does Christianity exist if we actually were listening to him? Like, right. You know, so it's like, I'm not I'm not sure I have any problem with Jesus um, once I adjust for context and, you know, all that yeah. stuff and, and, and actually put myself in the first century and the, the situation he was speaking to. The thing yeah. is that I'm just not sure that Christianity is is embodying any of that at all so it's like yeah. that's very confusing because it's like I, I think jesus is great i'm just not sure any of any of christianity is even attempting to celebrate that a lot of the time um Absolutely. so it's like yeah. there's this huge disconnect between the the enterprise which it is owning and trying to capitalize and corner that market on that name and that person and and it's like i just see jesus like everywhere you know like yeah <laughs> like wherever i see anything good and true and beautiful it's like that's that rings very very christ-like to me and i see that in all prophetic voices throughout time so it's it's funny there was a hashtag trending on twitter yesterday and today that was how to evangelical 
um, like ha- oh. <laughs> hashtag how to evangelical. And I thought, what might I contribute to this? And the first thing and the ultimate thing that came to mind, like as the thing that I would offer is just step one, claim to worship Jesus as God. And step two, don't allow Jesus any sway whatsoever in what you even believe God is like. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. like to me, that is that is the evangelical dilemma is the attempt to worship someone as God that you do not even allow to inform your theology. Yep. Um, you know, he, he's just this sort of elevated, sacrificial scapegoat that gets butts mm-hmm. into heaven. And Paul is Lord and teacher, whatever the yeah. hell we think Paul said. And, you know, our old versions of of a monster retributive god our lord uh but you know jesus i'm not sure he has much to say or at least that he's allowed much of a platform even though his name is used a lot um but yeah it's just it's it's very uh it's very frustrating and like like you keep saying i keep saying it's very disillusioning um yeah 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 but hopefully hopefully conversations like this i guess help help us make connections that you know I'm not the only one who feels that way. There's a lot of us who feel that way. And and over and over again, I keep talking to people and thinking like, these are not the people, the way that we're typically cast, you know, those who are struggling with doubt or uncertainty or, or, or processing things differently are a lot of times we're dismissed as people who didn't take it seriously enough. Right. Don't have enough faith. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Or people who didn't invest enough. And it's like time and time again, I'm talking to people who are like, nope, that's actually all I did with my life. Um, Right. You know, like I went into the pastorate straight out of high school or I talked to someone who like went straight into the mission field. And it's like, these are people who took it seriously. They were the ones who weren't nominal. And that's why it's put them into overdrive and processing what's wrong with this institution. And and so, yeah, I'm, I think that level of investment speaks to the integrity of people who are having problems now. And I look forward to, like, kind of what we find on the other side as, as we continue to process it together. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's nice to hear people who are, are doing that because it takes bravery if you've come from, you know, a, a place where that's just not, that's just not how it works. And I've gotten flack from, well, one family member in particular, not my nuclear family, but an uncle who just thinks I've completely gone off the beaten path and is trying to like convert me at every turn because clearly I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, but I don't really, I, I don't care. <laughs> I love him very much, but I don't care to engage with that because we're just on such different planes about, you know, thinking about all this. And so it's nice to open up the dialogue a little bit more and uh, get out of that, that box, the black and white nonsense. Cause it's just not, that's just not where the, the the guts are, you know, of all of it. So. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing some of that here and and uh, yeah. sharing some of your story. It's really, really remarkable and and super encouraging to hear. And you know, even with all the the trials and and difficulties of it. Um, yeah. It does it does mean something to me. I know it would mean something to a lot of people. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for letting me share. I was excited at the the chance to do that and. Awesome. Well, thanks. Hopefully we get to chat again sometime and uh, you have a good day. Thanks. You too, Kevin. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. As always, thanks for listening and engaging with us as we attempt to create a place of safety and trust. 
If you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Erring Grief. And if you can, give us a star rating and review on iTunes, which does a lot to help make us visible. You can see all episodes, companion essays, and get info about our team or how to share your own story at theairingofgrief.com. As of the airing of this episode, we are still taking calls for this season, and we would love to share some space with you. For information about supporting what we're doing at the Airing of Grief, check us out on Patreon. Details about our Slack community, our goals, and other things offered to patrons can be found there. We're still doing our monthly video chats and releasing bonus content there as well. And that's all for now, but we'll see you again next week, after church, for the Airing of Grief. <laughs>